0: In today's episode, I will be taking you behind the scenes of going live in my Manifest, A Profitable Mental Health Business Facebook group. If you would like to join in on the fun beyond the podcast episodes and special pop-up workshops, please make sure to check the link in the bio for access. Now tune in to today's podcast episode. Welcome back to the Branding for Abundance podcast, where therapists deserve abundance. This is your host, Dr. TK, clinical psychologist and number one therapist business coach. So today I first want to um, let everyone know that I am super grateful for our Facebook community. The name of the group is Manifest a Profitable Mental Health Business, and this is a fairly new group in the last three to four weeks. We just wrapped up a two and a half to three week bootcamp for manifesting a profitable private practice. And we have welcomed 21 new students into the last cohort of this year, 2021, to the Dope Therapist Academy. So I'm super excited that those students have taken the leap of faith to bet on them and to invest in themselves. So in today's podcast episode, I want to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart and also opening up a little bit more about how my history um, with family, money mindset, prosperity, and abundance has shaped the person and business owner that I am today. And so the topic of today's episode is money can bring a peace of mind. Money can bring a peace of mind. And so I know that as growing up, some of us may have heard something like, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but I know for damn sure it can buy a peace of mind. And so as I take you back through my childhood, I want to highlight one significant relationship that really shaped me over time without me even knowing it, okay? So I'm gonna, um, you know, let you in. And some of you may have heard some of my background before, but I was raised in a single parent household um, by my mother. My mother was the only girl out of four children. She was the second oldest. And, you know, I spent a lot of time, hence because my mom being a single parent, I spent a lot of time with my maternal grandmother and grandfather. We lived in Compton, California. I pretty much grew up in Compton, California since I was two years old, all the way up until recently, November 2019. And then I decided to move out of the city just because I was tired of the busyness and also because at the time, and currently, yeah, I have two boys, a 10-year-old and a three-year-old. I really had to project out into my future and ask myself, do I truly want to raise two black boys in that particular neighborhood considering the things that I've been exposed to as a young woman growing up? And so I decided to stop playing the I'm awake game and I decided to take a leap of faith and go ahead and move 50 miles out to a city in which honestly, I can get the best bang for my buck. They have a very good school district. And I also have a uncle that lives about five minutes away, which is my mom's younger brother. And so because I grew up in a single parent household and I was pretty much raised by my grandparents 50% of the time, I was exposed to a lot of things that as a child, I didn't recognize was dropping breadcrumbs For me to become the resilient, take massive action business owner, woman and wife um, and mother that I am today. And so some of the things that my grandfather and my grandmother allowed me to do is that I used to take a lot of road trips with them. um, Hence my love for travel. We have family on the East Coast, but a lot of our family was when I was younger um, down south, like in Arkansas. So we would take road trips to Arkansas a lot Um, my grandmother would have my youngest uncle from what I was told they would have my youngest uncle fly up even when I was an infant up to Portland Oregon because that's where I was born he would pick me up and bring me back down to Southern California to hang out with him my other uncles and my uh, grandparents why my mom had a much-needed deserved break because again she was a single parent Um, other things that I was allowed to do from the age of 11 all the way up until about 18 years old until I started college i Was being able to fly, but not just regular flights, but fly first class. And so, some of you may have heard previous podcast episodes where I talk a lot about manifesting first class. But my grandmother was the one that exposed me to that because she worked for the airlines, and back then it was very easy—or I'm going to say easier—to fly on standby and not have to run the risk of you know uh, being pushed to another flight. My grandmother knew how to do her research; she was very diligent, even up until the minute that we would. home with our bags packed to determine if the flights were too full for us to find a different flight. But imagine at the age of 11 being told to dress up because they had a certain dress code if you were an employee um, and we had to dress up. I would wear like my little cardigan knit sweater, my button down shirt underneath my little khaki docker slacks or a little skirt with some nice little cute shoes and my hair, you know, done. And so my grandmother would always make sure that I was presentable at first class level to be able to fly with her first class. And I became very accustomed to first class to the point where she had shared with me as I was grown that, um, you know, there was at one point where we got there and the first class tickets weren't available. And then when we got on the flight, I walked past the curtain and I was like, this is what she told me. I don't remember this, but I can see myself saying this. And I was like, wait, why are we, why are we sitting behind the curtain? Where's my orange juice? Because I had become accustomed to the lifestyle of the little girl who flies first class. And so another thing that I was exposed to is being able to have somewhat of VIP exposure when I would go to specific places that were related to my grandfather's work sites. And so he was very fortunate to have a lot of breakthroughs in his career. He's very good with his hands. Um, he pretty much rebuilt my mom's house. He rebuilt his, added on like three rooms, um, a shop in the backyard. He was the person also in our neighborhood where everybody would come to because he would drag out your engine of your car and just so many things. So he was really good with his hands and building things from scratch. And so I'm sharing that because he used to work for Universal Studios Motion Pictures. And so he he worked and built uh, movie sets. He helped build, it's old now, but like the E.T. ride. We remember being the first ones on that. He built the Jaws uh, show that was part of the tram ride. And then he worked on, uh, you know, Martin's show um, for years. And so he would come home talking about what it would be like to be around Martin and whoever else was on the show. And he had, you know, his things to say. But nevertheless, when we would go to family trips to Universal, we would get a special badge to be at a certain point in the line. And then he would actually tell us where to sit to get the biggest bang for not our buck per se, because we all got in for free, but being able to experience the best parts of the ride. So because he was really proud of the things that he had built, you know, during his lifetime. And so as I entered into my teen years, I realized over time, hindsight that of course I did not have a very good relationship with my grandfather, even though we had experienced so much abundance and it was really about us butting heads. Um, He would say certain things that would rub me the wrong way. And I think that out of all of the grandchildren and his children, I was considered the softest. I would be the one that would cry. And I think that that plays a large role in me being very assertive now in relationships, in my marriage, in job sites. When I had nine to five jobs, it made me into the person that I am today because I didn't want to feel like I was being ran over with somebody's choice of words. And so as I moved through teens, I knew that I didn't like our relationship, but I was also the closest grandchild to him at that time because everybody else lived either 50 miles away or in an entire another state. And so when I was in graduate school, around the age of 26, 27, he went for a regular checkup and he had been having some medical complications to the point where he had to change his diet. But then we were informed that he would have to have, you know, triple bypass surgery. And I remember the day that I was told this information by my mother, I broke down crying. I was in a state of fear, like, what if he doesn't make it out of the surgery? That's a pretty big surgery. And that's when I realized how big of a deal forgiveness is, because when you are potentially faced with someone having a health issue that can pretty much end their life, I just know from a therapist perspective, even though I was at the beginning of my therapist's Career because I was in grad school, I also recognized that I no longer wanted to live in a state of unforgiveness where me and someone that helped raise me was not on a good page. And so he was successfully able to go through the triple bypass surgery and then he actually ended up joining church. And he started to have a different state of mind, um, even in terms of his interactions with me. Like he was more calm when I would express myself to him and tell him that he hurt my feelings. He wouldn't continue to badger at me, which is what he used to do. He was like a completely different person. And I just thought to myself, and I used to tell like my mom and them, like, wow, he had to have triple bypass surgery and he had to go under for surgery in order for him to have this wake up call, like, you know, I'm not going to live forever. I should probably be a little bit nicer. At least that was my take on it because he would always be in supportive of us going to church. He would go to church for significant events like pastor appreciation day, or if my grandfather and grandfather would give a lump sum of money each year, like a lot of money to the point where he would go to those celebrations. But outside of that, you would not see him go to church. All of a sudden he was going to church and it was interesting to see the people at the church because our church, the church that we belonged to at that time, seated over a thousand people. And so it was very significant when he would walk down the long aisle because my grandmother was sitting in the same like 11th pew of the church in the middle because we had like four sections and a balcony. And it was very apparent that everybody was like, oh, my God, he coming to church because everybody knew who and what kind of person my grandfather was. I'm just going to leave it at that. And so a few years later, my grandfather started to experience some stomach problems and things started to happen pretty progressively um, because just fast forward a few years after taking him to the doctor multiple times, now for his stomach and changing up his diet, even though he was in very good shape, he would ride his bike every single day and go you know, walking with his friends in the neighborhood in Compton. Um, my grandmother noticed that something was significantly wrong. They took him to the doctor and he he looked like he was falling asleep, but we knew later on that he was losing consciousness. And so that was pretty scary. And then he just stayed in the hospital. Then within a week, we were told that he was in stage four of cancer. And we just thought to ourselves, did it happen so progressively Or maybe did he go to a doctor's appointment by himself or go into a room by himself while my grandmother was in the office? And because of ego, shame and pride, he chose I'm just guessing he chose not to share this information because it just seemed as though with the conversations that we were having with the doctors that There was some conversation about something being wrong with him. And then none of us knowing that this was um, happening. And so he started to digress very quickly. They moved him into a, I can't remember the name of it, but pretty much the home where, you know, you're on the last leg of your life and pretty much is to help you stay comfortable. And so my mother went to go visit a few times, my Second youngest uncle didn't want to visit that much. My uncle flew down here, which is my oldest uncle from Oregon. He flew down here to spend some time. He's like the junior of my grandfather. And of course, my grandmother would go like every day. And so I went like twice. I was going in between my shifts when I was working for the juvenile justice aftercare program. I would just make sure that I scheduled the kids that I needed to see that were in that area to go and visit my grandfather. And I remember my mother stating, you need to go visit him tomorrow. I'm going to go spend the whole day with him. Um, And then she had like family friends come you know, in and out while she was there. And then I went the following day. And so I noticed that when I was there emotionally, I could not tolerate seeing a person that was once standing up very strong, 74 years of age, looking like he was 55. He was a sharp person. He was the person who, as I was growing older, him and my grandmother were on two different ends of the spectrum. My grandfather believed in paying for things in cash He believed that we shouldn't have to pay interest for anything. Um, He believes in having assets. He believes we learned this hindsight in generational wealth. Okay. So after the day that I visited him, I received a phone call at four o'clock in the morning. I can never forget that day. It was a day I was scheduled to go take one of my kids to the DMV to get his ID. He had just been released from jail um, or camp. Um, He was 18 years of age. Like these things are traumatic for us when we get these type of phone calls, even though you know that someone is digressing. So I received the phone call at four o'clock in the morning. Immediately, because I heard my mom crying, immediately I went into, I need to take care of my mother mode, right? I didn't feel like I had a room to cry because she's losing her mother. And it's not to say that I... Did not believe that I needed to experience something on my own with the grief and loss process. But when fight or flight happens, your body and your mind will do certain things and don't question it as long as it's safe, roll with the flow. And so my mom said, you know, come over here. We're going to go pick up, you know, your grandmother and my uncle, because one of my uncles still stays with my grandparents. So I'm like, all right. So in the midst of me walking out of my home at the time, I called my Second cousin, he's pretty much right under me because I'm the oldest grandchild from my grandparents. So I called my cousin that lives in Washington. He has a wife and now has three children, but at the time he had two. Um, And he has a younger sister, but he's the son of my mom's older brother. So I called like twice and then I called his wife and then I told her what happened. I'm like, wake him up right now. I sounded very stern and I said, can you tell him to call his brother right now? I didn't know if my mom had called or not, but I just felt like I was on assignment at that time to make sure that my grandfather's children were okay. And then of course I text, um, I sent a group text out to all of my cousins because they were in different parts of the US. And one of them was in law school at the University of Miami. The other ones were in Oregon or Washington. So I wanted to make sure that my little cousins were taken care of. So nevertheless, we got to the location where my grandfather had passed away. And when we got there, I noticed something very interesting. So I wanna transition and talk to you about what I learned during this process and how it will be related to the topic that we're talking about today, which is money can bring a peace of mind. And so some of the things that I learned during this process is it's very important to create your own financial freedom, whether it's um, having a nine to five job, having your own business or businesses streams of income and or a blended version of the two. I noticed that when we got there, my grandmother, You know, checked in with the doctors and the caseworker, made sure that the coroner had been called. And then she sat in a chair and she was very cool, calm and collective. You know, she's 74 at the time or 73. So she pulled out her little phone book. You know, they all use iPhones for the phone book. And she started calling his family and her family because they both have very large families in terms of siblings. My grandfather is the oldest out of 21. Um, Now, some of his siblings were deceased and I think that took a toll on him emotionally because they were passing away before he did due to cancer. So cancer definitely runs on both sides of my family, different types, but his father pretty much had four families. And then my grandmother, um, one parental household, she's the oldest girl, second oldest of 12. Both of them born in Arkansas Pine Bluff. I don't think people had as many kids these days, but nevertheless, they were from very big families. But my grandmother, I was very shocked she didn't shed a tear. Now, granted, I think that she was shedding tears behind closed doors, but I started to recognize fairly quickly, you are the person that I get my resiliency bounce back from. My mother has a different way of dealing with things. Um, she looks different in her affect, but nevertheless, I don't see her shedding emotion as far as crying either, right? But I heard her crying that morning, but my grandmother not a tear. So I was questioning, like, why is she having a reaction? Then I started asking myself, why am I not having a reaction? So the coroner, nevertheless, took like four to five hours to get there. We left and we decided to go to, of course, the mortuary to handle paperwork. Now in the midst of that, I think within the hour of us getting there, everybody had left the room. Of course, it's like a sheep, like around my grandfather's area and then on him. And something was pulling me to say goodbye in a different way. And most people would not do this. I apologize in advance, but I felt like I needed to see him at peace. And when I did what I did to see him at peace, I broke emotionally. And I felt like I needed to do that because I was trying to hold the torch. Then I passed it to my grandmother. And I think that when it got passed to my grandmother, when we got to the location, I felt like it was okay for me to feel because I was also in a very secured area where my family was there to help me, protect me, let me cry, right? And I cried. And so um, it was definitely a need to shed. And so from there, we went to the mortuary. And this is where I think I got my biggest life lesson about what generational wealth truly looks like. So I don't think I've ever seen a funeral being planned this quickly, in my life. And I've seen a lot of people pass away, unfortunately, due to community violence based off where I grew up to the point where I think I went to like four funerals in three weeks. It was ridiculous. And so when we got there, we were in and out in less than an hour. Okay. My grandfather and my grandmother, remember I said that they believed in generational wealth, but they never sat down and explained at least the second generation. Sometimes they would shield a lot of things from us, especially if things are going on in our family in terms of death for like grandparents and great grandparents or family members, because I don't think that they saw us as adults, meaning my generation, not my mother's. And so they would see us still as the kids, even though I'm 20 something, right? So when we got to the mortuary, my grandmother and my grandfather had paid for the burial wall plot. They have paid for the entire funeral, and for you to understand if you haven't tapped into this world, because especially in the people of color community, we don't like to address these things until it's time to do a damn GoFundMe. And I learned very quickly that a GoFundMe is not the way that you want to leave generational torture to your offspring or your family members or the general community. And so the reason why we were in and out in 45 minutes is because my grandfather had picked out his casket. He picked out the inside of the casket. He told the people, I guess during the planning process where the funeral was going to happen, he planned out how many of the police people he only like did one. He was like, we don't need all that. shh. You know, he was a potty mouth or hence mine. And so, I just was like looking in awe, like in the back of my chair, like sitting back in my chair, like, how can this get planned so quickly? But then I see so many people throwing car washes. Like, what did you guys do that we don't know of? And when the guy that was doing this process with us, he said, you know, he said my grandmother's last name and he said, do you remember how much you paid? Because I think I asked the question, like, how do we do all this as quickly? So um, the guy said, do you remember how much you paid for this back in like 1995 or something like that? but my grandfather passed away in 2014. So I was curious to see the invoice. When I tell y'all inflation is real, okay, um, they paid in total $12,000 for everything. If you choose to wait to pay for things at the time of a death, it can double or quadruple per the mortuary and separately where you're being buried. And a lot of people don't think about that because we're so focused on getting money right now. But I would really hope that by me sharing and being vulnerable with my history, that you can use my life lessons to plant some seeds in terms of what you need to get in order. And so I learned very quickly that my family does not believe in GoFundMe. I realized that my family believes in preparation. And shortly after we had the funeral, I think we only added like one more police person. And, you know, everything was well planned out to the point where we had a funeral in less than seven days. All of our family from Oregon and from down south flew out because my family, all of their siblings Believe in having wealth assets, a lot of them own a lot of property um in various states. They know how to build homes. One of my uncle's, my grandmother's uh, youngest uh, brother, he has multiple airbnbs like they are very much entrepreneurial, but again, I didn't look at it as entrepreneurial growing up. I just thought that that's what adults do is like have multiple homes or something like I didn't know, but the problem is, at least as I was growing older in California. No one sat us down to teach us these steps. They just told us what needs to be the outcome. But what was missing was like the curriculum. Okay. So my grandfather, after he passed, he left a very good inheritance. My grandmother paid off the remaining balance of my mother's home because they originally bought that home. My grandfather bought that home for my mother because he was tired of us living in particular neighborhoods in which I was exposed to a lot of trauma um, in the community. And pretty much because of my grandmother's pension and my grandfather's pension, um, along with other Cash that they had saved up, you know, just from being very responsible with their money. My grandmother at the age of 80... What are we in? 80, 80 years old. She'll be 81 this year in 2021, December. She's very frugal, but she doesn't have to have any worries in the world. Okay. So let me share and transition and talk about some big aha moments that I learned during this time. And so one of the things that I realized during this time, because I was also being trained to be a life insurance agent and part of joining that particular company, is that I started to understand generational wealth with the curriculum. And I remember at one point being very upset after my grandfather had passed away because then I started to realize all the things that he had set in place all the things that he had shared with me while living. And I was upset because he didn't teach me. That's where I was like, oh, I just wish that he would have sat me down because you don't know what you don't know unless someone exposes it to you. So some big aha moments that I experienced during the season after his passing was that when I pass away, when I get super old, right, I'm declaring that, I want people to celebrate me and not fight over me. Part of me creating generational wealth for my family to create that celebratory process and aspect of my life is that after I had my son, Avery, I decided when he was one to join in on a meeting that my mother and my um, youngest, well, one of my youngest uncles that lives with my grandmother still, I decided to join in on a family meeting after church because they called out the cemetery's rep and they were talking about planning after death. And my, um, you know, they, they created arrangements for them to at least start paying for the burial plot. And then after that pay for, you know, everything else, because you have to pay for technically two different things. And it, it is a lot to actually plan, not a lot stress wise, but in terms of the details that go into actually planning what will happen after death. And so the gentleman, when I walked in with my son, because I came in a little later and my husband like dropped me off and they went to go visit his mom, him and um, the eldest son is he was like, how old are you? And I said like 38 or whatever, however old I was, 38, 39. And he was like, this is interesting. And I was like, am I not supposed to be here? You know, I was a little puzzled. And he said, no, I just wish that honestly, if I could be frank, I wish that more black people would actually plan out their funerals because he started sharing with us horror stories of this is why people's bodies stay in the mortuary for a long time because they don't understand that when they wait to the last minute and with the turnaround process and them having to find money, a lot of family members have to end up cremating um, if that wasn't the wishes of the person living, they would have to cremate the person because that's the cheapest way to go and that's not the way that most people want to go out. Um, so he said, I'm just very impressed that you are planning this earlier on and I think he was more impressed that I went ahead and said, don't just sign me up, sign up my husband. So we're in a payment plan. They allowed it for no interest to be for like the first two years. So I plan on paying it off by the beginning of this year, but we actually bought our wall plots to the point where we can be in the same area with my mom, my uncle, my grandmother, and my grandfather. Um, And then after that's paid off, I want to actually start paying for the service. And you may be wondering like, oh my God, like that is so like non-laws of attraction. But it is because at the end of the day, I'm focusing on Outcomes. I am focusing on people celebrating me. I don't want children to be fighting over the decision of the color of my freaking casket like that doesn't make sense. But these are small things that people fight over. I also want to protect my assets when I'm not here. And one of my biggest assets are my children and my husband, aka my family. At the end of the day, yes, we can have a trust, which we're working on now, because I even wanted to wait to create a trust because yes, I was married, but I didn't have any heirs outside of my husband. So by default, everything would have just went to my husband. But now I have multiple layers of assets. I have my husband, I have my son, we plan on having another child, I have my bonus son. And when you have multiple layers of the way that you want things to be set up for all of your children, for your spouse, for future children, you, you don't wanna stop them from having the emotional grief and loss process that they deserve to have because they have to sit here and plan out how many people get to come to the cemetery or the funeral arrangements or who's gonna speak. All those things should be worked out prior to your departure. So yes, I am only, cause I'm young, I'm only 41. But there are things that I've learned in the last five years alone after my grandfather's passing in which I will make sure that that's passed down to also and taught to my children. So something I want you to think about is what paperwork needs to be in order, not just in your business, but in your personal life, because things in your business that are set up correctly can be either a blessing or a headache to your offspring does that mean that your offspring or your family will take over your mental health business no unless your child is a mental health therapist and you have various streams of income but at least they know what to do upon your passing and that's one of the things that we talk about in the dope therapist academy specifically at least where all my clients learn this information um, in the first place is having a professional wheel and i give them instructions of how to create A professional will in which now I actually need to make another one moving into the following year. So, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode and you want to share the wealth and the knowledge to other mental health therapists, please refer my podcast episode to other therapists. Please make sure that you're following the episode. Um, You can also, if you want to get daily text reminders about wealth, prosperity, and abundance for your lifestyle and your business, I would highly encourage you to sign up for our text community. They get different things than what I put on social media and or, you know, on my podcast or in our Facebook group. So you can text the word abundance to 310 8603 And at least for now, Monday through Friday, excluding the weekends, unless it's a special event, I will email a daily affirmation, usually in the morning around seven or eight o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Now, if you are listening to this episode and you are not watching it, in our Facebook group. I would highly encourage you to join in on the fun because they get additional workshops throughout the year. And this is stemming from an epic and aligned uh, Manifest a Profitable Private Practice Bootcamp that we had, but now we're opening up the group for therapists who want to manifest a profitable mental health business in which I will be sharing, of course, on the podcast as well, information about how people can not only have a profitable mental health business for a private practice, but also be able to scale their mental health business later. So I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode and I will see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.